Turn to Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter 10. Matt uh, Richie, sorry, preached uh, last Sunday while I was preaching up in Manchester. And he, and he described the greatest call, right? The greatest calling at the end of Luke chapter 9. Um, you know, and Jesus, you know, he calls these, these men as he's going now to Jerusalem to some extraordinary challenges, right? In Luke 9, 57 to 62. Uh, but, but Jesus can do that because he calls us to an even more extraordinary life. Yes, he gives us some extraordinary challenges, but those, those pale in comparison to the life. The life that He's offering us as He calls us to those challenges. And so uh, it's a high call, but it's the greatest call. And the call continues for them as it does for us today as we read on here in Luke chapter 10. Uh, let's look here at Luke chapter 10 verses just 1 through 20 uh, and get a couple points here from this passage uh, as we close out our time here together this afternoon. Luke chapter 10, it goes on in verse 1 after this. The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where he was about to go. Verse 2, he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. Verse 5, when you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating... And drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Verse 12, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day, Jesus says, for Sodom than for that town. And woe to you, Chorazin, he goes on. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. Verse 16, whoever listens to you, Jesus says, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. But whoever rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, in verse 20, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And so Jesus in Luke 9, if you recall, He sent out the 12, right? He sent the 12 out with a similar charge, and now He sends out, it says, the 72. And as He sends out the 72, He says a most exciting idea with a challenging reality. Right? He says uh, in uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, uh, he, sa- he simply says, The harvest is plentiful. And isn't that exciting? Yeah. To think when Jesus sends out His people, there's a harvest that is going to come and it's going to be plentiful. And if that was all He said, it would be so encouraging to us today. But, but there is a but. The workers are few. And so those two realities are always before us, right? The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. The workers are few. You know, you've heard of this term perhaps of FOMO. It stands for the fear of missing out. 
And because of the digital age that we live in, you can get on your laptop computer, and much like the Andy here from the office, uh, the American version, you, you see someone having a great time, and you realize you've missed out. And Facebook and, and, and Snapchat and all those things, they just, they just add to the misery, right? A lot of us, when we were growing up, we didn't know what else was going on other than in our house. And so we didn't realize what we were missing out on unless our siblings did it, right? But today, it's all over the place, and we're always missing out on something, right? The fear of missing out, FOMO. But as Christians, we, we ought to be concerned about real FOMO. Because God is working, God is moving, God is bringing in a harvest. And He wants to send out workers to be a part of that, but are we a part of that? We ought to fear missing out on the work of God. We ought to fear our missing out on this plentiful harvest in our lives. And so this passage to me gives us some great great ideas and reminders and calls to make sure that we don't have FOMO when it comes to the Lord's harvest in our lives. And so just two quick, quick uh, points here from the text so we can make sure we don't have any spiritual FOMO in our lives. Amen? We don't want that look. Uh, the first is, it is a simple and obvious one. As Christians, it's all about Jesus. To make sure that, that, that we see a plentiful harvest, to make sure uh, that we really are those workers, those few workers that God wants, we've got to remember it's all about Jesus. Look at the text here, Luke 10. Verse 1 says, The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every town and place where He was to go. Right? And he says that he's sending them out in verse 2 into his harvest field. Again in verse 3, go. Why do they need to go? He says, because I am sending you. You know, Jesus is he's, he's all over this charge. He's all over this call to the disciples. And then you go down, he gives them some specific instructions that we'll look at later. In verse 16, he says, whoever listens to you, it's really not about you. Actually, they're listening, he says, to me. And whoever rejects you, he says, it's really not about you. They're, they're actually rejecting me. And not just me, he says, also the one who sent me, right? Referring to God, the Father. Then you go on in verse 17, they come back, Lord, even the demons submit to us, and they know where it comes from, in your name. That's where the power is coming from, right? And Jesus says, you know, he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and he's given them authority, and nothing's going to harm them. Uh, and again, it, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. You know, the harvest... Uh, you know, getting people uh, the good news about Jesus, which is what he's referring to here today, we would call that evangelism. We call that the mission. We call that witnessing. You know, obviously, it's all about Jesus. But we know a lot of times we make it about us. Let's just be honest. In the Christian community, oftentimes we make it about us. Well, we don't have this, and we don't have that, and if we just had this person, if we just had that person, if we just had these resources, if the church just could grow in this way, then the harvest will come. But it's the Lord's harvest. It's not ours. It's not ours. And we're always in danger of, of the cult of personality. Right? Making it all about the personal trinity, me, myself, and I, rather than the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. And we even went so far, uh, when I was a younger Christian, I remember people talking about personal fruit, quote-unquote. You know, John 15 talks about how if you're you're a branch in the vine, you'll you'll bear much fruit. So there is some truth to that. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, He's going to use me to bear fruit. But we got so focused on that concept that when I was a young Christian, I remember I had like a tally of how many people I'd helped become a Christian. And I knew the number. You could ask me, and I knew. You know, I just... You know, those are the people that I met that became a Christian. And, you know, and, and it was just so much about me. 
so much about me and not about Jesus when I started to go down that path. And that's a very dangerous path. And that oftentimes is why we lack hearts. It's because we've made it about ourselves or we've made it about someone else when it's all about Jesus. The Gospels, they start with the focus on Jesus. And even when they go back in the Gospels, in the lineages, why do they go back? To show where Jesus came from. It's still even then all about Jesus even as it goes back into the Old Testament. And then Matthew 28... There's the passages we looked at earlier there in Luke 10, 1 to 3 and Luke 10, 16 to 19, where it's all about Jesus. And then in Matthew 28, the, the last thing, the last thing Jesus says to his disciples is according to the Gospel of Matthew. The 11 disciples come to Galilee. Jesus is now resurrected right from the dead. They were 12 before. 12 was, was the number of perfection. Now they're imperfect. Judas is hung himself. They're only 11. And they come to Jesus and they see him. It says they worshiped him, but some doubted some doubt it. So they're, they're lacking one. They're doubting. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's not about them. It's not about that they're missing somebody. It's not about their doubt. It's all about Him, right? So therefore, go, as He says here in Luke 10, and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Not in our name, right? Not the church's name. And teaching them to obey everything Jesus says, I have commanded you. And don't forget, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, what He called them to then, He calls us still to today, right? To fulfill this great commission. To make disciples of all nations. You know, and they had Jesus with them here in Luke 10. And so it was certainly easier, you know, to make it all about Him. But then He doesn't go with them. He sends them out. And, and, and they're on their own, right? And so they had to learn to walk with Jesus even though He wasn't physically there. Just like we still do. Uh, today, And so, again, it's easy to make evangelism about a lot of things, or I reach about a lot of things other than Jesus. And, and it's amazing to me how easily I can lose the concept of, of, of it's all about Jesus when I'm out there sharing my faith. For example, this week, I did it again. I've probably shared this before. I'm out and I'm thinking, i gotta, I got I to gotta talk about Jesus wherever I go. And, and I'm in line at the, at the, uh, at, at, uh, the local co-op here getting some food and... And I think, okay, I'm going to invite the teller out, you know, kind of get myself ready for that, you know, she's checking me out, you know, you know, scanning my produce or whatever, and, and then I go, oh, I left my invite in the car, and, and immediately I just start, I, I just start backing out of that decision. And so I'm making my witnessing, my, 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 my very sharing of my faith about an invitation that I'm lacking. And really, I'm lacking nothing if I'm talking about Jesus. Yeah. And to my shame, I didn't do it. I backed out. I checked it out. I'm confessing my sin here. <laughs> what is that? It's all about Jesus. It's not about an invitation or a lack thereof. Uh, you know, we so quickly forget. And I know I can be guilty of it uh, myself. And so I want to repent of that and make it more about Jesus. Another example, you, you meet a person at work or a neighbor. Or you think about a family member and you want to share your faith. But you think, yeah... I'd love to, but they're in this relationship. Yeah, I'd love to, but but you know, he's my superior at work. You know, she she you know she has a complicated marriage. You know, we start thinking of the reasons they are not open, and we've declared them unopen, and we don't even know if they're open because again, we're not looking at Jesus. We're just looking at ourselves. We're just looking at other people. And the text here has some great help. To remind us that we've really got to see Jesus. It's quite interesting. He goes on after he gives him the instructions in verse 13. And he gives th- three times to get Jesus' woes. That's not good, right? Three of them. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. 
And he talks about these Old Testament towns that were humbled by God. He says they would have they would have repented long ago if they'd have seen what you guys saw. And what's interesting when you go into the gospel records, in Capernaum and Bethsaida, we actually have a record in the Gospels of Jesus going there and doing miracles. And you can you can look that up later. I, I didn't give you the references, sorry, but it's recorded in the Gospels that he did miracles in those two towns. But there's no record of him doing anything in Chorazin. It's, it's not in the Gospels. And what it reminds us is, is what John 21, 25 says. You have the scripture quoted here. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I mean, it's just amazing. Jesus did so many things, they just they couldn't even write it all down. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's, as we just say, he is that awesome. He is that awesome that you just can't even talk about his awesomeness. There's just no way to write it all down. That's just how awesome he is. And we need to be reminded of that. Uh, that way we can make it all about him, right? And not about us. Uh, John Ortberg wrote a great book. I highly recommend it. Who is this man? It's all about how amazing Jesus' impact has been on the world the last 2,000 years. And how no one in the history of the world has impacted the world like Jesus has. And there's so many things about modern society that I share about universities and professors. And those are Christian origins. That's, I got that from this book. Um, anyway, um, he says this. He, he quotes Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ralph Waldo, I'm sorry. Ralph Waldo Emerson. Wow. Um, it's working on my strain, maybe, because we're heading back there. Ralph Waldo Emerson says this about the name of Jesus. He says, That name was not so much written as plowed into the history of this world. And then he goes on to quote H.G. Wells, who marveled after two millennia that a historian like myself, H.G. Wells, who doesn't even call himself a Christian, finds the picture centering irresistibly, irresistibly around the life and character of this most significant man. The historian's testament individual's greatness is, what did he leave to grow? Did he start men to thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? By this test, H.G. Wells says, Jesus stands first. And he doesn't even believe in Jesus. Hartberg goes on to write about this why. Maybe because of its timing. Maybe Jesus was just a sympathetic figure who happened to come along when Roman infrastructure was good and Greek philosophy was undermining the gods, when paganism was dying and social systems were collapsing, when stability was down and anxiety was up and gullibility was strong and it was just dumb luck. Maybe Jesus was a kind, simple, innocent soul with a good mom and a knack for catchy sayings who showed up in the right place at the right time. Jesus Gump. Maybe his place in history is a remarkable accident, but maybe it isn't. And as Christians, it's not maybe. Jesus' impact and who he is and, and, and what he's done, it's not a maybe. It's an absolute yes. All of history just shows who he was. All of history just shows how awesome he was. And even still today, how many people Sunday morning, whether they truly know him or not, are going to church and are hearing about his name, how many billions of of songs and poetry and and, and literature has been written uh, because of this man. Evangelism is driven and successful only because of Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about him. And so how do we get, get Jesus out there more? Because if it's all about Him, we've got to talk about Him, right? Well, I think we've got to become Jesus name droppers. Stephen Colbert, late night talk show, you know, he, you know, he was offended, you know, why someone called him a name dropper. That's not what my good friend Tom Hanks called me when I'm hanging out with George Clooney at his place. <laughs> okay. 
You know, we've got, we've got to learn. We've got to learn, you know, and the church can get guilty of this in the wrong way. Oh, yes, yes, I studied the Bible such and such. And I, I knew such and such back in 1998. No, I was in the ministry. And we can kind of start talking about the people we know in the kingdom of God and, you know, the who's who in the kingdom. But again, we're getting off track. We're getting off track. It's got to be all about Jesus. And so, among us, how often does Jesus get talked about? I mean, seriously, you've been here today for how long? And how many times have you talked to your brother and sister just today about Jesus? How many times will after service will he will he be on our lips? And so it starts here. We we got to be name dropping Jesus a whole lot more perhaps than we do. It's so easy to get caught up in the business of church and, and lose the, the the message of Jesus on our own lips and in our own hearts. And that's why we take communion. Thank you, Jason. You know, that's why we that's why we sing. Thank you, worship leaders. It's it's all about Jesus. And then the, the better we get at that, the better we can tell each other about Jesus. It's kind of practice then to go out there into the world. And they drop Jesus there too. Because they need it too. We already talk about Jesus today quite a bit at least. Even if it doesn't come out of your mouth, it's coming out of mine quite a bit. But we've got to learn. We've got to learn, you know, to, to, to then get that name out there at work. And I'm not saying that means you just walk in and be like, Jesus is Lord. Meet me in the coffee room. I'm not implying that. That might work. I don't know. Um, but we got to... It's, it's almost become taboo to use the name Jesus. If, in, a, in, a, in a secular society like the UK, we've got to not let that stop us. We've got to figure out how to get it in there. How to name drop Jesus at work. How to name drop Jesus at school. How to name drop Jesus, you know, at home in our neighborhoods. We've got to learn to get it out there. And I think a lot of that is, is telling people about how Jesus is working in our life. Telling people about how Jesus has changed our life. Talking about our marriages and making it about Jesus when we're talking to our, our co-workers about marriage or, or whatever it might be. Bringing them into everything that we possibly can when it comes to our conversations. Because if it's all about Jesus, that's what should be coming out of our mouths anyway. So I really want to put that out there. We, we really want to grow as a church getting the name of Jesus out there. As we come into 2018, may that be the, the thing we're talking about the most. Amen? Amen. So it's all about Jesus. And second and finally, what about me? It's all about Jesus, but of course we do have to ask the question, what about me? But what's interesting right away is that's the wrong question. What did Jesus do in chapter 10, verse 1? He sent them out two by two. It was never meant to be just about my, my witness about Jesus. Or your great eloquence about the Lord. It was meant to be done together. We're always better together. We always do it better together. Jesus sent them out two by two for a reason. Two are better than one, right? I could go on and on and on. You know, we've got to learn uh, together, you know, how we, how we uh, can do a better job making it all about Jesus. And there's some great insight here in the text, uh, you know, on this note as we get uh, finished up here. This will be a bit more practical, you know. What is our part? Because the harvest is plentiful. Jesus made that clear. But he said, in verse 2, the workers are few. And so what about the workers? What about us, right? The church should be those workers. Well, I think there's five practicals here really quick. I think as workers, we ought to be asking. In chapter 10, verse 2, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest. Right? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. What does ask mean there? Well, Matthew 7, 7, Jesus is asking it will be given to you, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open. The context is prayer. So it's certainly our prayer life. 
Uh, I think it's also our faith, though. James 1, 6 says, James says in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you don't have because you, you, you doubt. You ask, but you doubt. You ask, but you doubt. So I think it's, it's maybe faithful prayer. Faithful prayer, not just prayer, but, but faithful prayer. So we've got to ask ourselves, do we believe the harvest is plentiful? Is what stops the plentiful harvest simply our doubt, our faithlessness? Because I think oftentimes when we, when we doubt, we may ask, but we ask for very little. Our view of God becomes very little, and so we ask very little. And then in the end, what do we get? We get very little harvest. We get very little uh, change because we don't actually believe that God can provide. Second Kings four one to seven. You can read it later. There's a widow. Her husband was one of the one of the prophets in Elisha's company, and so she comes to Elisha. Her husband's died. She's a widow. He served the Lord well, and she's in a dilemma. She's got two sons. She has debt. They're going to take her sons to collect her debt. She says, "I don't know what to do." And Elisha says. What do you have in your home? She says, you know, a jar of olive oil. He says, go ask all your neighbors for as many empty jars as you can find. He says, don't ask for a few. In other words, ask for a lot. And she does that. And she comes home and she takes all the empty jars and her sons start helping her fill up their little jar of oil into the jars. And they fill all the jars. And they fill all the jars till there's no more jars to fill. So the olive oil doesn't run out. It's the jars. You know, and God, God's sustenance, His provision... His help in the harvest, it's never going to be limited. We're always going to limit it. We're the jars, right? He's the oil, uh, you know, in that particular analogy. We should ask big, in other words, because we serve a big God. 2017, as far as membership growth, has not been a big year for us. We've just kind of stayed the same. We're just kind of hanging in there as a church. And I wonder if it's because we're not asking big. We're not expecting miracles, so we're not seeing miracles. We're not asking big, so we don't see the harvest as being big in our lives. Let's start making some God-sized asks and see what God might do. The second thing here is we've got to be going. It's not just good enough to have a nice little prayer. We've got to go out and do something. Once we have those faithful prayers, right? And that's what Jesus says. He says, go. I'm sending you out in verse 3 like lambs among wolves. You know, where is Jesus sending me? It's probably a good question to ask, isn't it? Where is He sending you? Where is He sending me? And if He's sending us somewhere, it may not be easy. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves, He says. And so, so going for us today may mean get going. Maybe he already, He's already put you where you need to be. You just need to do something with it, right? Or I just need to do something with it. You know, grow where you're planted. But maybe go means moving. Whoa, that's a radical concept. You mean like sell your house and go somewhere you think God's calling you to go? Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I don't know if that's the Lord's will for you, but maybe it is. Maybe it is. A few of us have done that over the years. When we think God's calling us, maybe it means targeting a new area in the area you live in. We've got a lot of disciples here, but we don't have a lot of disciples over here. You know, maybe it means something else. I don't know. I hope the Lord will reveal that to you. I hope He'll reveal that more and more to me. There's a lot of places to grow and there's a lot of places to go. That's all I do know. And the challenge is it's easy to go for ourselves. We choose to live here. We choose to buy this house. We choose to go to this job. That's our choice. But again, is that where Jesus wants us to go? Is what we should always be asking as we make uh, these very, very big choices in our lives. In verse 4, you know, he talks here in the text. In verse 4, he gives them some instructions. He says, do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. What is he talking about? Well, I think it's the clutter of life. Life just gets so cluttered. And oftentimes that clutter keeps us from going freely and fully for Jesus. 
It's always something or someone distracting us from where Jesus perhaps wants us to go. And so we might hear go, but we often say no because we're hanging on to all that stuff. And until we let that stuff go, we're not free to really go for Jesus. And at some point in our lives, we get right at that point. Or maybe we need to, you know, stop focusing so much on our house. Or stop focusing so much on our children's education. Or stop focusing so much on our personal leisure time and hobbies. Or stop focusing so much on, on, on all the problems here and all the problems there. And just focusing again on where Jesus wants us to go. Are you weighed down, cluttered, and therefore not able to go and work the harvest the way the Lord wants you to? And what a simple lifestyle change. Open up the harvest in your life and others. Third thing here is entering. We've got to go, but we also got to, we've got to enter them. He says in verse 5, enter homes. And in verse 8, he says, enter towns. I appreciated Walter Segward uh, recently at a family leaders meeting. You know, he said, rather than try to keep creating things in our family groups for people to come to, why don't we just go get involved in our communities? Mm-hmm. Our communities are already doing things that we could just go be involved in. Let's just go as disciples and share our faith there. And I thought that was a, a beautiful point. And I hope we're doing that in our family groups. Mm-hmm. There's always a lot of things we can just enter into already that exists within our communities. But it's not just go enter them and join them. Verse 6, he talks about you got to bring your peace to them. Mm-hmm. So the other challenge in that is we might go, but do we share our faith? We might go, but are we just being worldly? Mm-hmm. Just hanging out having a good time like everybody else down at the Christmas market or wherever else, you know, uh, we may be doing you know, what stops us from entering oftentimes is a, is a lack of love or, or selfishness or even, even worldliness. So we've got to go. We've got to go in love. I'm playing basketball right now with a bunch of the young guys at the University of Birmingham on uh, Tuesday and Thursday nights sometimes when I can. And, uh, and, and it's just amazing to me. You know, I have all these relationships now. They know my name. I know theirs. You know, or they call me the old guy or whatever. And, uh, <laughs> but I'm in there. You know, I'm in there. And, and, they're, and they're cool with me, you know. And, you know, and it's good. And they respect my game a little bit. But now I'm like, okay, I'm in there. But what do I do now? Like, I've got I to gotta share my faith. You know, and Evans and I, we've been talking and strategizing because we're doing it together, you know, most times. And, and that's the, you know, i got to keep sharing my faith. I've been doing that. I thought there might be a few guys in church this morning, but I don't see them. I'll talk to those guys later, but amen. You know, we we got to enter, but then we got to share our faith as we enter. Two more here. We're wrapping up. We also see leaving. We also see leaving in the text there. We don't like this, but this is true. Verse 10, when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town will wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. You know, we, we can't leave, wipe the dust of our feet until we've really entered. Sometimes we're too quick to... Come out of here. We haven't even gone in yet, you know? Never burn a bridge. Always, always keep the door open. For anybody, anywhere, anytime to share the good news about Jesus. But at some point, we've got to get off that bridge. At some point, we've got to, we've got to build a new bridge. And that's what I think Jesus is talking about here. Uh, he, he talks about it another way in, in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, uh, verse 6. Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. At some point, you're just you're, 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 you're hitting an unopened person. And, and you got to let it go. You're not helping them, and you're certainly not helping yourself. And that's hard. If we really love people, that's hard. And that should be hard. That should be hard. But hopefully the Lord will give us a sermon on those matters. You know, we've got to look for open people and open places. Uh, but let's not, let's not assume it is until we really know. 
And at some point, amen, we, we, we've got to move on. But let's keep that door open. Let's keep that bridge there in the distance. Perhaps we can cross it again one day. Uh, and finally here, we're talking about rejoicing. This is the best part for me. This is, I love this. This is what I needed uh, from this text. Uh, you know, they, they go out, they listen to Jesus. And in verse 17, they return with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus talks trash to Satan. I love it in verse 18. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And, and, and he kind of says, of course, I've given you this power. Of course, of course that's, that, that, that's what happened in verse 19. But he says in verse 20, however, do not rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Their initial joy, perhaps, was just about their success. Quote, unquote. Oh, Lord, we, we did some awesome miracles. You know, some, some great things happened. And Jesus points them to the ultimate source of joy. In verse 20, your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. And I think it reminds me that, that the mission should bring us great joy. It should bring us great joy. It shouldn't be a burden. It shouldn't be an obligation. It should be a great joy. Because if we are rejoicing in our salvation, we're already joyful. And if we're joyful, we're going to want to tell people out oh, what's making us so joyful. And we're naturally going to want to share our faith. We have that kind of joy. And so the mission will flow out oftentimes uh, from that joy. The joy of our salvation. What about the joy of their salvation? Man, imagine if God got in there and changed their life. That sad story could turn into a good news story. Imagine if, if, this, if this woman became a disciple of Jesus, how God could use her with all the influence she has in the city. Imagine if that young man at the university really understood Jesus' call. He'll be an evangelist back in China. You know, you, you start thinking that way and you start feeling this joy that I believe God feels when He sees us. And He sees how He can use us and where He can take us if we'll just receive that heaven that He's offering us uh, and become His sons and daughters. You know, what joy to help someone find their salvation. That's why I went into the full-time ministry back in 1999. I was like, are you telling me I can just be a disciple and make disciples all day, every day, and you're going to pay me to do it? Sign me up! I mean, that was it. I didn't ask how much. I didn't ask about the hours. I didn't ask about what that would mean. I was like, I'm there! And that, you know, almost 20 years in, that's still what brings me the most joy when it comes to doing the ministry. is seeing people's lives changed. And you don't have to get paid to see that. You don't have to get paid to experience that. God wants to use all of us. He wants all of us to be workers. All of us to be workers in His harvest. Amen. The church, you know, we, we got our issues. we got our challenges. But come on. We have help and hope in Jesus, even in the midst of those challenges. Our names are written in heaven. And so we can always rejoice. You know, I, I, I personally have been very convicted by this because Galatians 5.22, uh, this other scripture I've written on there, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, the second one is joy. Joy, right? And that's exactly the same root of the word rejoice here uh, in Luke chapter 10. And, and for me, I, I looked back on this year and I thought, man, I've really lacked joy. And I thought, I've been very unspiritual. It's according to the fruits of the Spirit. I should have joy in my life no matter what. Joy is not happiness. Those are two different things. Happiness is about circumstances. Joy is about, is about our relationship with God. And I was so convicted uh, because, you know, Ruby got baptized. Amen. That was a great uh, victory for our family. Uh, thank you, church, for helping her. And uh, and that, that, that night I was sitting on our couch in our lounge after Ruby was baptized. And I was just filled with an inexpressible joy. It was just, it was just overwhelming. It was just so encouraging. Uh, and I remember feeling that when Grace was baptized. And, and 
And, and I felt that way to other people, you know, back then. But I thought, wow, I'm so convicted. Is that how little I've been focused on the mission this year? Is that how, how little I've been out there really preaching and talking about Jesus and bringing people into, into his harvest? Like, and I was really convicted about that. And I thought, no, I, I've got to stay focused on the mission. And somehow through the mission, as the Holy Spirit works in my life, because it has to, to use me on the mission, there's going to be more joy in my life. And so I resolved that at the end this year, you know, really getting filled up with that joy that often comes from just being the disciples in the Lord's harvest uh, that He wants us to be. You know, which one? Which one today is Jesus calling you to? Which one is He calling you to? Which one is He calling your family group to? Which one is He calling our church to? I want us to really think about that. And for me, it's definitely rejoicing. I need to repent of my lack of joy. I need to rejoice more uh, in 2017. I look forward to doing that in 2018 and even displaying that repentance to you guys. They were visiting with us this morning. You know, God God has, has sent you workers, perhaps. That's perhaps why you're here. You know, through a relationship or a random situation, He's brought you here. Why has He brought you here? Because he, he wants to bring a harvest into your life. He wants to bring a harvest into your life. Will you, will you let the Lord of the harvest into your life? And allow those workers he's brought around you to help you to understand him and have a relationship with him. Please, please let us help you do that, friends, if you're visiting with us. Um, and, and, and church, the Lord has promised a plentiful harvest in this life. There are so many other passages we could use, right? May we truly believe and see and see that the harvest is plentiful in Birmingham. Amen? Amen. Now may we bloom in Brum. Amen? take us being those few. It will take us being those few workers. Asking, going, entering, leaving, and rejoicing. And I do believe by faith we will see more and more of the Lord's harvest in our lives and in our church. And the Bourbon Church of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.